0: So now I get the pleasure of introducing Charles. He is our speaker today, and he is going to continue our series uh, about walls, you, bringing Charles. down walls. Thanks, Charles. Hey, welcome to the river. Happy Sunday! It's a Super Bowl Sunday. Anybody excited about Super Bowl? Yeah, yeah Some of us like it. Almost like football. Who's uh? Let's get a little. Who's rooting for the Eagles? Who's rooting for the Patriots? A few, yes, yes. I lived in Boston for a dozen years, and I root for Boston teams. My son told me this morning coming over here, he said, Dad, nobody roots for the Patriots. I was like, I do. I was like, yeah, well, you and no one else. Not in New York City, he says. I'm like, oh, come on. So see, there's some other people who's rooting for the Patriots. Yes, (laughs) we're together. So at least, how many of you are going to watch the Super Bowl? Right? So there we go. So Super Bowl Sunday. Well, we are uh, in a sermon series called When Walls Come Down to talk about the walls and alienations we feel living life in new york city in 21st century and today i would like to talk about feeling alienated from the larger purpose in life you know what i mean like you can get up in the morning and just not feel that great you know i was just talking with someone this morning at church and i just asked her how are you doing and, and she said yeah i'm doing well I'm Really busy, but I'm just so busy, and I'm doing all these things, but I don't know where the time goes, and I don't know what I'm doing, she said. And I was like, yeah, you know, that can happen. We can, we can live life, we can do all these things. We get up, we take the subway, we go to work, we come back. And then we, from time to time, we stop to think, and we think, where is this all headed? <laughs> what am I doing? What is this what is this all for? Or just is it just live to eat and li- eat to live? And uh, you know we don't always think this way. you know life is exciting. there are great things to do, good food to eat and things to do, you know places to be, right? But from time to time, doesn't this question creep up? What am I about? What makes my life worth living? What am I worth? Why do I matter? Do I matter? Does that ever happen to you? You know, if you're a human being, I think it happens, right? We uh, we wonder about this. You know, this question: What makes your life shine? Quote unquote. It's an important question. Uh, last time I talked, I talked about this constant pain I'm struggling with 24-7 due to some of the spine issues I have. And, and with all the pain and struggle, it makes you wonder. All the effort it takes to live life, what makes it worth it? It's an important question. In fact, the modern philosophers think that this is one of the biggest problems of 21st century in the western cultural life. There's an interesting book called All Things Shining written by a couple of leading philosophers today. And they talk about this problem. It's a wonderful book. I recommend it. It's a powerful book. Secular philosophy. But they're deep thinkers. And and the problem that the book talks about is That the modern world in Western culture has lost the shine. That's what these philosophers call it, the shine of life. You know, in the past, the world was just full of the sacred everywhere. The question didn't even come up. You know, what am I living for? We all, people felt a very strong sense of their place in the larger story. You know, they didn't have the antibiotics and their lives were short. But they didn't wonder about what is life for. There there was shining sacred meaning everywhere. The world was full of the sacred every day. But now the modern world has deconstructed everything down to component parts of molecules and atoms. and, And we're all just chemicals. We're just all chemicals and it's all evolution, it's all neurological. Every impulse, every decision you make is all driven by these chemicals and these impulses and, and it's just been deconstructed to smithereens. And and when, when we gone this path, and when nothing is sacred, when nothing has meaning, and it's all just chemicals, then life feels cheap. It feels empty because <laughs> when you get down to the very component parts, it's all empty. There is no sacred, shining things anywhere. And so that can, feel, that can make people feel really lost. Watch it all for? Try to feel alive to the mystery or worth of life, to the shine of every moment. Interestingly, one of the warnings from the Bible is that such a turn of events might happen that we will feel cut off. One of the verses in the uh, oldest parts of the Bible says, The sky will turn to iron, the earth into copper. A well-known theologian named Dallas Willard interprets this verse with the inability to be connected to the larger spiritual world, the shine of life. He interprets it to be connected to another verse. Sky will turn to iron, earth into copper. The word of the Lord will dry up, meaning we'll just get cut off from the luminous, the spiritual, the larger, sacred, shining world out there. Now it's been cut off with an iron wall. We live inside an iron box. And that can result in feeling blah about everything. You you wake up in the morning and you take the subway and it just feels like, you know what I mean, it just feels blah. (laughs) It's hard to feel alive. And so the modern philosophers talk about this, that book, All Things Shining, it's it's a really, I recommend it. I was reading it, it was so fascinating. I was talking about it, I was like, yes, yes, yes. You know, it's talking to the problem of today's life. Until it gets to the, the last chapters, where it turns to, okay, now what do we do about it? And you know, the first 90% is the problem, right? So the last 10% of the book, it's the solution. So I'm like, yes, I'm looking for the solution. How can I come alive? And that's when it gets disappointing, <laughs> right? So many books are like that. Isn't that a bummer? But anyway, the, the answers are not very satisfying. Because uh, it's really, I think there's very, what, what answer can be there? But anyway, the book recommends manufacturing the shine in your life. By putting meaning to whatever you find interesting, that can become your sacred. You know, you can make sacred whatever you find interesting. It can be knitting or it can be football. The book really literally talks about making football the shining meaning of your life. And look, I mean, some people really get passionate about football. I don't mind that. It's all good. I have nothing against football. I enjoy football a lot. And you know, Super Bowl is happening today. And some people pay like tens of thousands of dollars to get a ticket to Super Bowl. Right? You know that. And you go to Minnesota in the dead of winter, you know, in minus 10 degrees or 20 degrees. And you sit like, what, you pay tens of thousands of dollars to sit way up there, It's like the players look like ants when you're like up there. But you feel it's so important. You do that. You, You live for it. And some people make it the passion of their life. And I have nothing against that. But that doesn't float my boat. Right? I don't know about you. Football is definitely enjoyable. But to make it the shining meaning of my life that's sacred, that just... It just doesn't feel it's enough. It's not a solid enough foundation. I need something more. Right? And that's where the modern philosophy falls short at this point. The ancient world didn't have this problem. The question didn't even come up. The spiritual was all around them and it could pop into their life any day. For example, the Bible talks about in Joshua 5, there's an interesting passage. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. This is a very interesting passage. What's interesting about this, and there's a whole background to this, there was a war, Joshua was leading an army, and and he sees a man with a drawn sword, right? And, and so he gets alarmed. And we're in the middle of a war. And so he goes up and says, Hey, are you on our side or are you on an enemy's side? You know, right? You get that, right? And there's a whole background to this. I, I'm not going to get into that. I just want to point out. The interesting thing to me about this passage is that Joshua doesn't realize he's talking to anyone out of place or special. He thinks he's just a soldier, right? At first, it seems like he's just like, Hey, you're a soldier, a warrior. Are you one of ours? Are you one of theirs? Identify yourself. You know, like they have those, you know, code words or whatever, right? And then, and then he recognizes it's not all just normal business. Maybe the air shined a little bit differently. Maybe the light looked a little differently. But something clicks in his head during the conversation. And then he realizes all of a sudden, oh my goodness, there's something special going on here. I stepped into something holy. He falls face down. Like, bam, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he's like talking, 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 and then he's like, oh my God, and he just goes face down, right? It's an interesting story. Now, numerous stories like this in the Bible. Abraham entertains three angels of the Lord without realizing anything until much later. He thinks he's just talking to people. Uh, Moses sees sees an ordinary bush, but then it's a fire with the holy presence of God. Gideon is talking to a stranger, and he has, they have a long conversation. And it's only after the the angel disappears that he recognizes, "Oh, sh- sorry, <laughs> right, right." There are so many stories like this. Excuse my language, but that's basically what happens. Right? Yeah. The oldest parts of the Bible is chock full of stories like just like this. When people are clueless at first, it's as if they're in a dream or they're in a fugue state. They just don't recognize what's happening right in front of them. And, and and some stories, like Samson's parents' story, like the angel is giving them clues. But they still don't get it. I mean, you're reading the, the accounts and you just think, how can they not get it? They're as if they're in a daze, right? And then all of a sudden, something clicks in their brain. And then they realize, wow, I, the veil is torn. Something sacred has flowed in. You know, and I, I'm just stepped into something holy. And they don't know what to do with it. And, and, and some of the theologians, they, they note that there doesn't seem to be any lessons or any theological meaning that's attached to any of these stories. It just seems like an eyewitness account, like this just happened. <laughs> and we don't really know why or what the meaning of this is. It's just experience they are having. God is walking around. He's talking with you. He's moved by your prayers. He's concerned with human affairs. These are the common elements of the oldest parts of the Bible. This is what some theologians call the God of old. God of old. God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, You may have heard that phrase, God of Abraham, Isaac of Jacob, God of all. This is in contrast to the more modern passages in the Bible, the more modern conceptions of the Bible. And, and they are believed to have been written by sages or philosophers, the God of the sages. And those more modern conceptions in the more modern pos- passages in the Bible I think of God more in terms of like this all knowing, all powerful, transcendent being who is up there and he is so holy and so powerful, he's pretty much removed from anything to do with things here. He set everything in motion and he's in absolute control, but he is not really m- interacting. He's so holy. Right? It's is, is like a clockmaker God. Have you heard of that phrase? That's, that's one of the conceptions of God of the, uh, the Christians, and 16th, 17th, 18th century. You know, God who set everything in motion, but he's removed because he's so powerful, so holy, so all knowing. The problem with that is, and this is a quote from a book I really enjoyed uh, called The Twilight of Atheism. <laughs> by Alistair McGrath, he says, God who doesn't get involved might as well be dead. That's a problem with such a God. That, uh, he traces the rise of atheism, actually, to such conceptions of God. But anyway, God of old, the God of sages or philosophers, feels a little bit different. Have you heard of Pascal? Blaise Pascal. He is one of the towering geniuses in human history. He's uh, impacted the modern life in so many different ways because of his intellectual capacity was just so beyond normal human beings. He had a powerful encounter with God one night, 1654. He wrote it down these experience, and he sewed it inside the jacket next to his heart that he wore every day. It meant so much to him. And I quote parts of it. He says, on the night of November 23rd, 1654, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and scholars, certitude, Joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ, my God and your God. Joy, 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 tears of joy. Jesus Christ, may I never be separated from him. Isn't that powerful? He carried that next to his heart all the rest of his life. This defined His life. This was the dearest thing in his life. This was the the anchor of his life. I mean, he had so many achievements that you might have thought, well, maybe, you know, he would feel good about his life because, you know, he made such a big difference. He mattered, (laughs) you know? And yet, this is, is what he carried next to his heart. And, and, and this is what Christian faith is all about. Our faith tells us, yeah, in this world we feel somewhat cut off. There's an iron wall between us and that luminous world that Pascal is describing, the luminous fire. We're alienated from God. But it doesn't have to be that way. We can get a hole through the iron sky. For example, in the biblical period, There was this concept of holy ground where the veil is thin. So, for example, Joshua in this passage is told to take off his shoes because he's standing on holy ground. What does that mean, holy ground? Well, in the ancient world, they believed that there were a few special places where the veil is thin, where the spiritual world easily flows in and this idea culminates in the holy temple in jerusalem where in the layout of the, the way they built it they had this place called the holy of holies that was a place where the spirit of god dwelt on earth in their conception this was where the veil was like basically transparent and and the god spirit was so powerfully present that it was dangerous you would die if you went in there. Only one person went in there, the high priest, and that only once a year because it was such a, a thin place that a human being couldn't take it. So, they had that idea that God's spirit could be experienced in these places. But, now, we believe, our faith tells us, That thing has broken out. It says at that moment the curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. That refers to the curtain. Separating the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world, what the cross achieved is that the Spirit of God is broken out to the whole world. There is a puncture through the the sky or the veil. And what is so interesting is that the Bible tells us now the church has become that holy of holies. That place where the veil is thin. Listen to this passage about church. So now, you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family together. We are his house. Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives or dwells by his spirit. So what this passage is telling us is that that now the church, this, this community, made up of ordinary people full of flaws, we are like little bricks now being carefully joined together to become the place where the veil is thin, where the Holy of Holies exists, where the Spirit of God dwells and breaks through into this world. And what's interesting is that even the Gentile world, which means the secular unbelieving world. Even they are being invited and given access to. Anyone can become a brick in this temple. It's not such a holy thing anymore where only the holiest person, the high priest could go in once a year. It's not like any human being, no matter who you are, what class you are, what gender you are, what orientation you have, whatever. Whatever. You can be a brick in this new temple where the Spirit of God flows in. It's not a powerful thought? I find that very powerful. Because I want that. I need that. I need that veil to get thin. You know? Otherwise, life is just too blah in this iron box. I have a longing for it. And and so I find that very intriguing. And so this is my first practical suggestion for today. Rethink church. You know, we tend to think of church as the place where we come to to learn about the ways of God. To be convicted Right, about the right behavior and the wrong behavior and to be encouraged to behave more righteously. And I am nothing against that. That's all good. Those are good things you know, to move that direction. Or in some more modern churches, you know, we think of church as the place where you come to be encouraged, where you get self-help tips to become the best us we can be. You know what I'm talking about, right? There are like these, all these some of these churches you turn on the TV and uh, it's all about becoming the best us and having the best life and how we get there and we here in New York. We are into self-improvement, right? We're into self-actualization. This is all good stuff. I Nothing against that. Uh, but I believe church is more than that. I believe church is more than that. I mean, let's agree right now. That it's not a good idea to behave horribly, can we agree with that? don't go out there and do things you 're going to feel really guilty about. you know don't kill people don't steal, don't murder don't you know be a good person. Can we agree on this that that's yes, I think we can go beyond this. You're all adults and be the best you you can be. All right? Let you agree on that. Agreed? But Let's go more than that. You can go to a bookstore and pick up some self-help tips. That's really good. I do that. I recommend it. Do it. It's like exercise. You know, it's good for you. Right? But church is more than that. Church is a place where you can get more connected. To the sacred, that's beyond the iron wall. And that's so important because without that sense of luminous fire coming through, you are going to feel blah about life. You are going to feel cheap. You are going to wake up one morning and wonder, what makes me worth it? What, what, what value do I have? If I disappeared, would it really matter? Then you're going to be filled with questions and regrets. and Have I made the right choices? Do I really matter? and and the only way to get away from that is to realize that there is something deep inside of you that's made of luminous fire that Pascal talks about and we we all have a glimpses of it we all have like this sense that it's it's there but but we we are not always in connected. We are not always connected to it. We, there is a wall, and, and we, we question, we doubt, and we wonder. But 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 there is like a canary in the mind. There's, there's something in there that always tells us there is more. There is more. I mean, I mean, I believe that's why you are here today, this morning. I mean, why are you here? I mean, this is New York City. You could be in a very nice bakery. (laughs) Drinking just lovely coffee, great pastry, just enjoying yourself. Why are you spending your Sunday morning getting up, taking that subway, which on Sundays don't work very well, right? They're using that, I mean, I hate this about New York City subways, is that they're using Sunday morning to do all the repair works. And I'm like, church is important, guys. Don't, you know. But we live today in a world where they don't think church is that important. But it is. Because it is the place where you can get connected and come alive and come afire like Pascal did. We have that truth deep in our soul. You know, even when I was a little kid, I grew up in a household where my parents didn't have any faith in God. I didn't know anything about the Bible, Jesus, or any spiritual stuff. But even when I was a little kid, I, I used to think, there has to be more. I feel like I'm more. That I'm more than just what I can do. What I'm capable of. There has to be more. Otherwise, you know, some of these handicapped kids or some of these kids are smarter than other kids. Is that really the only way to value a human being? I mean, even as a kid, I felt that. I felt some deep inside a soul level sense of truth that there is a larger world and I matter, that I'm important, more than what I can do and how smart I am or what chemicals are making me function. There is more to this, I felt. Where does that come from? I don't know. But most human beings have this innate sense of the spiritual, the luminous shine, what Pascal experienced as smart as he was. But we are cut off from it. We don't always live with that sense it's a small still voice that gets easily drowned out by the anxieties of life by the events of the days and we're cut off it's not always there right and we fall into a place of despair we fall into of feeling lost but here <coughs> together we are reminded we are lit a fire again. And it anchors us. It grounds us. It it gives you strength. You know what I mean? And I believe that's why you are here, right? It's not just to listen to me yak yak yak. <laughs> right? It's to encounter the living God. It's to reawaken something that's sleeping in your soul. Come alive. Come alive. Come alive. You know? And so whenever you feel blah, you know, know, this week, whenever you feel lost, think of yourself as more than just chemicals. Think of yourself as like a, a filament, a hole through the iron sky where you are the conduit. You are the brick that God is using to make the the veil thin to break through, right? And so think of yourself as existing in two worlds, one foot in this world, one foot in the luminous world beyond the veil. When I do that, and I, I try to imagine myself like I, I, I close my eyes, I reach out with my senses, and I try to try to think of myself existing in both planes of existence at the same time. And when I do that, something flows in. And I feel more calm. I can react better. I feel more present and I can deal with this life with more sense of weight and reality. So try that this week yourself. Because we are all bricks. It's not special people. It doesn't say just the pastors are being made into the temple. It's all of us. So try that. You know, find your purpose. This is another thing you can do. Find your purpose in building church. Together. We are his house. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. So, what this is saying is that we walk a lot better when we are together. Jesus said, When you are gathered, that's where I am. It's this idea that, hey, brick is good, but when bricks are joined together, we really, look, we really become the temple. It's that filament idea that we are the whole. We can do that individually, but when we are joined together, that's when we are really working. Electricity really flows. The current of God's Spirit flows when we are together. And that's why I'm I'm spending my life and putting my abilities and my gifts and my time at, at service for us all to build this church. And we are all called to do that not just some special people. I mean, I am doing this because I need this. I need to experience more of that shine in my life or I will fall apart. You know? It will be a very depressing existence. And so this is really for myself that I'm serving. And so think of it that way for yourself. How can you be more engaged with this church because it's joining together that's important. That's very clear by this passage, isn't it? You have to get engaged. Don't just come and come and go. Get connected. Join together. Participate. Volunteer. Get to know people. The extent to which you get joined together, the extent to which you can experience more of that shine that flows through from the luminous world. Sounds good? So rethink you. Rethink church and rethink you and why you live, what you are for, what makes your life valuable. We tend to think of our value or people's value in terms of how famous you are, how many followers you got, Instagram, how many people are checking on your Facebook, Facebook? how much money are you making, how good looking are you. Hey, that's all just chemicals. Right? That's, that's not made of fiery substance of the luminous shine. This is why we are experiencing this, this loss of shine and we get books like All Things Shining where it says, you know, make football your shine in your life. I mean, come on! We cannot be reduced that way. That makes us too cheap. So rethink you. How valuable you are. You are infinitely important. Because you can exist in two worlds. Because you are the whole through which God breathes spirit into this world. I mean, how important was the Holy Temple of Jerusalem at the time? That was very important. Now we are. You are the conduit. Just by existing. You have influence in this world. That's a new way of thinking about purpose in life. A new way of thinking about what function we have in this world and what makes us valuable and why we matter and why we should get up every morning with a sense of meaning. Right? So rethink you. You. You are a royal priesthood, the Bible says. A royal priesthood. It's because we are this brick. We are existing in two worlds. That's why the Bible calls you the royal priesthood. All of us, not just pastors. All of us together. Yeah? So think of yourself as a priest. As someone who's bringing the holy into the mundane. That's pretty cool, I think. Yeah? Amen. That's a big thought. So I just want you to take just 10 seconds, maybe 20 seconds, just to sit on that. for just, just dwell on this for just a moment. That You are the conduit. You are the priesthood. You are the temple of God. You are the conduit through which God is breathing His life into the fabric of this reality. Just let it sit with you for just 10 seconds. Just feel the truth of it in your soul. Thanks. I mean, I just feel... I mean, just for myself, but I just feel the truth of it in the deep marrows of my bones that this is who we are. Not just because the Bible tells us this is who we are. it just feel it rings true in that small place. So go with that. Go with that this week. It's such a big thought. We're going to push into this more and more in the next few weeks now how do we puncture the iron wall how do we be more efficient and effective in being this royal priesthood or the temple of god or whatever and, uh, and 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 it's it's the right time because we got 40 days of faith coming up how many of you are familiar with 40 days of faith i mean many of us feel it's like the best time in our church right So it coincides with this period called Lent. You guys have all heard of Lent. It's six weeks before Easter where Christians have traditionally practiced spiritual disciplines like fasting, prayer, Bible studies to push into God. And so we use this time to really try to experience the living God. That God would become more than talk. That God would become more than God of the philosophers who is just up there as removed from us. That he would become more like God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Walking in our midst. Talking. Transforming us. Touching us. That we would experience something of the luminous fire that Pascal talked about. So I'm very excited about this coming up. February 18th is a start. We're going to give you Bible guides, user's manual. We're going to push in. This is a very critical time for us as a church as well. We're starting this ca- campaign called Revolution. Right? Many of you are familiar with it. We're trying to get the world out to grow this church because we really believe church is useful. It's very powerful. And people need it in these terms. The people need the shine to be restored. And so we're trying to get the word out. You know, a church like ours that is full of vibrant faith in the living God, also fully inclusive, it's very rare. Just really doesn't exist. So we want the word to go out. The church is more than just a place where we talk about right and wrong and argue about it and doctrines and all that. This is more, this is a holy place. It's a place where Everyone is welcome to become part of the holy ground and experience the living God and be transformed by it and experience the shine being restored to your life and let it be the fuel for your life. And that should spread, yes? Yes. Amen. Amen. Let's do this together. We need to do this together. And God will come alive more and more. In your life and my life, the shine will come in Jesus' name. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are not just up there. Yes, Lord, that there is an iron veil, but it is being broken by your spirit, by your people, that even now we can feel your presence here. I pray now for every single one of us here that we would feel more of your presence this whole week. That by being part of this experience together, that you would come alive more. And that we would be more in touch with the shine that's within us and that's all around this world because of your spirit's presence. Help us to come alive to your reality. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.